are some words of wisdom from Mr. Know-It-All. Why can't I say that word? You're mocking me, aren't you? By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today we're talking about language again. Longtime listeners know I love talking about words and phrases and English usage and catchphrases and idioms. We've talked about this stuff in past episodes. And it came up again this week because I discovered a phrase that I didn't know existed. I discovered there was a category of words called fossil words. And so, me being the inquisitive person that I am and always having to know things, I looked up fossil words. Now, before I get too far down the path, I just want to let you know we're going to be talking about words. We're going to be talking about English. We're going to be talking about the history of words. So I want to give you fair warning. I know you might like vacation talk or movie talk or book talk. You might like game talk. You might like the growing up the fat kid talk. You might like knowing about the weird things that I did as a kid. And yeah, we're going to talk about more of those too down the road. But today I'm talking about words. And if you watch the stream at all, you know that if I see something shiny and it catches my attention, I get distracted and I go that way. So the phrase fossil words distracted me this week. So I had to dig into it. And so that's what we're talking about. Now, fossil words apply to old words, but those old words pop up in phrases that we still use to this day. I saw that people were complaining about the use of the term fossil words, or the phrase fossil words, I guess I should say. And they were saying, well, you know, those words are still being used to this day. Yes, fossil words are still being used to this day. A fossil word is not a word that's no longer used. It's a word that's been fossilized. You know what a fossil is when you find a dinosaur bone that's really, really old. It's no longer in the dinosaur, but it's still a bone. And it's been fossilized. It's been preserved. So fossil words are old words that are still words. They're just not used the way they used to be used, but they're still in existence and we still use them because they're part of a phrase that we like to use. Like bumper crop. The phrase bumper crop contains the fossilized word bumper. Now we know what a bumper is. A bumper is on the front of the car. You ride bumper cars at the county fair. But the word bumper in the phrase bumper crop is a fossil word. And here's why. Once upon a time, a long time ago, the word bumper was used to describe a drinking vessel. A big glass. A big glass that was filled to the brim, like to overflowing. So you would get a bumper of beer, for instance. So that word bumper, as it was used in that context, evolved to mean something unusually large. It could mean unusually large in size or amount. And then bumper evolved to describe things like a bumper business. Over time, it just became associated with crops. For whatever reason. I mean, we can dig into that if you want to. I didn't dig that far into things, but I like to know why things are called what they are and where things come from. So bumper crop evolved from the fact that a bumper described something that was overly large or overflowing, and a bumper crop means a large crop of whatever, a bumper crop of corn. So bumper is a fossilized word. We still use bumper crop. We still use bumper in other contexts, but rarely in the way that it used to be used to describe a large drinking vessel. That's why bumper is a fossil in that context. So that gives you a preview of what we're going to talk about today. Yes, I have a list of fossil words and the phrases in which they're used and some of the origin of those fossil words, because this kind of thing fascinates me. Here's a simple one. Vim and vigor. Vim, when it first came out centuries ago, meant energy, excitement. 
and it became associated with vigor, which means life, through the phrase that was invented years and years and years ago. And so now we have vim and vigor. He's full of vim and vigor. Well, vim is fossilized because whoever says, look at the vim in that girl. I've never seen such vim on the dance floor. We just don't use vim like that anymore. We use it as vim and vigor, but we just don't say vim without vigor. Now, one of my favorite fossil words is shebang. I love shebang because nobody knows where it came from. There are lots of possible definitions and lots of usages of shebang, but nobody really knows where it came from or what it actually was supposed to mean. We use it today as part of the phrase, the whole shebang. As in, if you're at a garage sale and you're going to buy everything on the table, I'm going to buy that whole shebang, meaning everything. The odd thing about shebang is it has a history where it's meant a lot of different things. And maybe that's why it evolved to mean everything. I did my research on this. The Merriam-Webster website was one of my sources. Grammarly was another source. There are lots of sources you can use if you want to check me on this. But when I find these shiny things that I have to look into, I go to various sources. And Merriam-Webster was one of them. And they say that lexicographers, that's the people who do what we're doing, investigate language, that they don't really know the origin of the word shebang. It kind of came to being in the 19th century around the Civil War in the United States. In some usages, it meant a hut. It meant a dwelling. Sometimes it meant a drinking establishment. Mark Twain used it to mean a vehicle. But there was no one pure definition of shebang back in the 19th century. And because there was no one definition or one source of the definition, there's not a clear explanation of how shebang got to mean everything, as in the whole shebang. But nobody says shebang anymore to mean dwelling or house or drinking establishment or vehicle. The only time you ever hear shebang is when you're talking about the whole shebang. Thus, the fossilized word. Here's another good one. Wedlock. We all know what wedlock means. It means married. But we never say that, well, they're in wedlock. Essentially, the only time you hear the word wedlock is when you're talking about a child born out of wedlock. Now, we know that wed means married. That comes from the old definition of pledging. So if you get married, you pledge your love to each other. And if you dig back into the history of the suffix, that's the ending part of the word for those who don't remember their English. The suffix lock was used to denote an activity. So wedlock was the activity of pledging. So wedlock means marriage, getting married, the action of getting married. But these days, we don't use that word, except to say out of wedlock. Wedlock is the fossilized word because we just don't say it to mean married. We say it to denote a child born out of marriage. Now here's a cheery one for you. Nell. K-N-E-L-L. That's another fossilized word that we only use in the context of death knell. Well, knell is an old word that means the sound or stroke of a bell. We often say tolling of the bell, ringing of the bell. People used to talk about the knell of the bell, which is kind of cute. Except when you're talking about the death knell, because the death knell was the ringing of a bell when somebody died. Historically, people would literally ring a bell to alert the world that someone had died. That doesn't happen too much anymore. But the phrase death knell lives on because people talk about it in the movies, in literature. This is the death knell of that town. That's where it comes from. And knell is your fossil word. Now, the next one is a fossil word that's part of a bigger word that we still use. The word we still use is kidnap, and we all know what kidnap means. But the fossil word is nap. Nap used to be another word for nab. Nab and nap 
originated both at about the same time, the 17th century, and in fact, the lexicographers that I talked about before, they actually think nab, when you nab somebody or nab something, nab is an alteration of the original word nap. And we still nab things today. Let me nab that cookie. Nap, on the other hand, stopped being used, except when you use it in the word kidnap. The word kidnap originally started in the 1600s and the 1700s, when people would steal poor children and take them to the British colonies to work as indentured servants. So you would nab kids or kidnap them, steal them and sell them into slavery. Now that term nap, which meant to take or to seize, kind of disappeared. We still use nap to have a short sleep, but we don't use nap to mean take anymore, unless we're talking about a kidnap. Another one of those old words that's fossilized within an existing word is the word shod. The old word shod meant wearing shoes. For instance, the horse was shod, or she has shod feet, meaning they're wearing shoes. There's shoes on their feet. That's what shod used to mean. But we don't talk about people being shod or horses being shod anymore. We put shoes on the horse. We put shoes on our feet. But once we do that, we don't say we're shod. We say, I've got my shoes on. Or there's horseshoes on that horse. But shod still exists in slipshod and roughshod, two words that we use all of the time. Although not all of us do. I still use slipshod and I still use roughshod. Slipshod is careless or slovenly or sloppy. Roughshod is abusive or rough or disdainful. Now slipshod started centuries ago, really, and it still referred to shoes back then. Slipshod referred to wearing loose shoes like slippers. Slippers were often called slip shoes. And so if you had slippers on, you were said to be slipshod. And slipshod evolved to mean shabby or carelessly put on, like slippers. And I mean, if you walk through a mall these days and see people going in slippers or in flip-flops, that looks a little more careless, slovenly, than somebody who's wearing boots or shoes. So that's where slipshod came from. Roughshod came from horses. If you were putting horseshoes on a horse and did a crappy job of it, you had nails bent edges sticking out, or you were doing it in a hurry, and you didn't care how you got it done as long as you got it done, you did a rough job of shoeing the horse. So that's where roughshod comes from. And that's why roughshod has more of a connotation of abusive or rough or disdainful, and slipshod has more of a connotation of careless or slovenly. But the point is, the fossil word shod exists in both to this day, but we never use shod the way it was originally intended. Another fossil word that I kind of like is wit. Now, we use wit to this day. Somebody who's a wit is funny. Somebody who's witty is able to come up with funny lines. But wit, back in the olden days, literally centuries ago, to wit meant to know. So the fossilized version of wit, meaning to know, is in the phrase to wit. Now, we don't use to wit as much as we used to, but we still do use it. You'll see it in books. You'll see it in court. You'll see it in legal documents. And the phrase to wit means you're about to say something or describe something in detail. Like you might say, the lawyer's advice was sound. To wit, don't speak to the police until I'm present. That's what to wit means. You know enough not to speak to the police without your lawyer. To wit, follow the lawyer's advice. Another fossil word, wend. W-E-N-D, wend. As in wend one's way. Wend, when it was first used literally centuries ago, meant to go. And people used to wend all over the place. They would wend to the garden. They would wend to the palace. But we never use wend in that context anymore. I don't wend to the store. I don't wend to my in-law's house. I just go there. 
But if I'm going to the park for a walk, I might wend my way to the park. I don't just wend to the park, I wend my way. And that's why wend is a fossil word, because we only use it in the context of wending one's way. I actually think we should wend more than we do, but that's just me. One of my favorite fossil words is pink, not the color, but pink as it's used in pinking shears. Now, this is very personal to me. You may or may not know what pinking shears are. I grew up with pinking shears in the house all of the time because my mother was a sewer. I've talked about that in the past. Pinking shears are those scissors that cut, but instead of cutting in a straight line, they cut with a serrated edge, like it's curvy when you cut. If you've never seen them, they're kind of cool, and they help you make cool designs when you're cutting things. Just don't let mom know you're using the pinking shears to cut colorful construction paper and make cute little projects, because it dulls it for when she's trying to cut her fabric with them. But I never knew why they were called pinking shears when I was a kid. They were just called pinking shears. Well, it turns out that one of the earliest uses of the verb to pink was the act of cutting or perforating material in an ornamental or decorative pattern. Who knew, right? You mean if I'm pinking something, I'm cutting it in an ornamental and decorative pattern? Yes, that's what I mean. To pink was to cut decoratively. The verb later evolved to refer to the saw-toothed edge on the material. The curvy edge of the material was said to have been pinked. So when they eventually created scissors that would do the pinking for you, the cutting decoratively, they called them pinking shears. And as I said, I grew up with pinking shears all of my life. We had two or three sets of pinking shears because we kids were always dulling the blades and mom couldn't get a good cut. So we always had pinking shears. But the fossil word is pink. And we never use the word pink to mean anything except the color anymore. We don't cut decoratively unless we're using pinking shears. Now, this next fossil word is going to lead me into something else, eggcorns. And I'll talk about those in just a second. But first, I have to give you the word. The word is champing. Champing is a fossil word because we only use it in the context of champing at the bit. Champing used to mean that you were excited for something. You were champing for Christmas. You were champing for your birthday. But for whatever reason, champing fell out of favor, except in the context of a horse champing at the bit. And a horse champing at the bit is excited to start the race or excited to start the walk, or excited to get going. That's what champing at the bit means. And it comes from the fact that champing meant excited for something. I actually might start saying, I'm champing for Christmas, just to get the word back into regular use. It's a great word. But the reason the phrase champing at the bit leads me to eggcorns is because people talk about champing at the bit as something else. They call it chomping at the bit. Well, there is no phrase, there is no idiom, chomping at the bit, except for people who misunderstood or misheard or don't know what champing is. So when they say chomping at the bit, that's called an eggcorn. An eggcorn occurs when a common phrase like champing at the bit is changed to something similar sounding or identical sounding, but using a different word or different spelling. The guy who invented the term eggcorn, Jeffrey Pullum, called it an eggcorn because it sounds like acorn. He wanted it to sound like a different word because that's what an eggcorn phrase is. It sounds like something that's close to what it's supposed to be, but isn't really what it's supposed to be. Champing at the bit is one. For all intensive purposes is another. I've talked about that in the past. The phrase is for all intents and purposes, but people say for all intensive purposes. Incorrectly. But that's why that's an eggcorn. Well, why do those things happen? Okay, well, it could be laziness. It could be stupidity. It could be people don't pay attention. Personally, I think eggcorns happen because of the same reason that misheard song lyrics happen. 
You think you know what it means, and so you say what you think it is until somebody corrects you. Like Hold Me Closer Tony Danza is not the lyric of the Elton John song Tiny Dancer. And there are plenty of examples of eggcorns, and I'm sure you've heard them, and you may even say them. I actually may do a whole episode on eggcorns, but just to give you some examples. A tough road to hoe is not the phrase. That's the eggcorn. The actual phrase is a tough road to hoe. Comes from gardening or farming. It's a tough road to hoe. You're not going to use a hoe on the road. You will use it on a row in the garden. Some people will say outer body experience. That's not what it is. It's an out of body experience. But some people think it's an outer body experience and so it becomes an eggcorn. Have you heard people talk about a mute point? I know I have, but there is no such thing. There are moot points, but mute points, they're not a thing. And perhaps one of my favorites, duct tape, D-U-C-K. People are always talking about fixing everything with duct tape, except there's no such thing. There is such a thing as duct tape, D-U-C-T, as in a heating duct or an air conditioning duct. But because the duct and the tape run close together, people mistake it for duct tape. In my experience, you don't usually fix ducts with tape. You often fix ducts with tape, and that's an entirely different thing. But the thing I love about duct tape is that because of this eggcorn, because people have mistaken this phrase for so many years and so frequently, there's now a brand of duct tape called duct tape. And how do you not love that? There are so many fossil words, and I just hit on a few of them today. But the list could go on and on and on. And I kind of love the fact that they exist, because it keeps really ancient words alive, even if we don't know what the original meaning was. There's something about keeping these ancient English words alive that appeals to me. For instance, ado. Much ado about nothing. Without further ado. Ado is a fossil word. It used to mean bother over unimportant details. So when you say, without further ado, we're not bothering with unimportant details anymore. We're done. Bandy, another fossil word. Bandy used to mean hit, pass, or toss around. And bandy still exists because we bandy about topics of discussion. You don't just bandy anymore. You don't bandy the ball, but you do bandy about topics of discussion. Perhaps one of my favorite fossil words, turpitude. Oh, what a great word to say. It means depravity. But you never hear anybody say turpitude anymore unless they're talking about Moral turpitude has a very legal sound to it. It's often used in criminal cases. Moral turpitude. Turpitude will do, but we don't say that anymore. We say depravity or moral turpitude. We need the phrase to convey the utter depravity of the turpitudinousness of the axe. How you like that one? So yeah, there's a lot of fossil words out there, but that's enough for today, right? We'll save some for the next time we do this. We'll also save some misheard song lyrics. And I think we'll save some eggcorns as well. You've had enough for one day. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for indulging me in my trip through the English language. And as always, thank you for your support and your kindness. I really appreciate your time, and I can't thank you enough. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.